of Jesus really is. And what's complicated and mucked it up is the church and people who have changed the word of God and made so many complications in so many different ways that are not in scripture that people are confused today, not only outside the church, but those who believe in Christ as well. Would you agree with me on that? So the place where we have to start, and I really believe this, is to have a high regard for Scripture. And what I mean by that is that anything that contradicts a specific statement in the Bible needs to be discarded by us. No matter if my parents believed it, that's the church I was raised in, if it's traditions, creed, councils, or whatever, I have to be honest enough and open enough And believe enough in scriptures that I want to do and obey what the word of God says. Now, all of us are going to say yes to that, right? So there there is a tough point in our life sometimes, the difference between interpretation and what's doctrine. And I get that. My interpretation may be your doctrine, right? And so we have to be careful never to be divisive over interpretations. In fact, in interpretations, there needs to be liberty, We don't have to all agree on interpretations. But where there are expressed commands in the Bible, specifically New Testament, then that is where we must be willing to simplify our faith and turn to it in repentance and do what the Word of God says. That's the whole basis for this series on dunked, all right? Because the one word that's been really messed up is the word baptism, and it's been messed up by the Catholics and by the Protestants and by everybody else, okay? Everybody has a hand in it. And so we're going to see today, just for a moment, review what that word means. But I want to begin, first of all, with a command that comes right from Jesus, where Jesus says, make disciples of all nations. That's a command from him, isn't it? Baptizing, dunking them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, that's Jesus speaking, and that's a command directly from him. Would you agree with me on that? So I know I'm preaching to many of you who have already done this, but just kind of helping you through the process. You have to have a high regard for Scripture. Did Jesus say this, or did he not say this? Are these the actual words of Jesus, or is this what the church said Jesus said and made it up later on for Jesus saying it? See, my view is, If these are not the direct words of God, if the New Testament is just a collection of writings from people who are Christians in the first century and it's not inspired from God, then I'm not up here today. I'm through with it. I'm done with Christianity. Because to me, that's no different than any other religion. So you have to have a high regard for Scripture. Are the Scriptures we have from God or not? And if they are from God, then what's contained in them must be what we follow, no matter what's said anywhere else. Let me give you an example. It's it's an imperfect example, but it's one that I think you can relate to. Our country has a constitution, right? We're a couple hundred years removed from the Constitution of the United States. Now, I'm not saying the Constitution is inspired from God. I don't believe that. I don't believe it's an inspired document or sacred document from that standpoint. But I do believe it's a social contract that was set forth by founding fathers 
to be a guide to be followed by the United States unless it's amended over the years, right? And even the amendment process is part of the Constitution. So today, if I decide to do a law or do something contrary to the Constitution, then what is going to be the basis of our country either to decide to accept that law or to reject that law? The basis is the Constitution. I do not have the power or the authority, no one has the power or the authority to change that Constitution. Even though times may have changed, culture may have changed, lifestyles may have, you see what I'm saying? Are you with me? If we're based upon a Constitution. If not, we throw the Constitution out and start all over. Now that's an imperfect document written by man that we follow as a social contract. Are you with me? The Word of God is from God, who does not allow amendments or changes to his word. In fact, he warns about those who would change his word, doesn't he? He warns about adding, subtracting, or leading men astray by your own opinions or by your own teachings that are contrary to the word of God. So I'm just going to tell you right out, as we've looked at this series, you can't get away from the statement from Jesus. It's the simple gospel. We are to make disciples in every nation for all time. And we do that by dunking them. That's the word, immersion, we'll see in just a moment. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we have to teach them to obey everything he's commanded. An infant cannot be taught. An infant cannot know. An infant cannot repent. An infant cannot obey everything. They do not have that capacity. At some point, if they have the intellectual capacity, they will move to that situation where they can make that decision for themselves. But what Jesus always states is that this is an individual choice by people who know and learn how to believe and who are able to repent and turn to him and be dunked in his name, have his sins washed away, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's two books that help us, because sometimes I hear people say, well, the Bible is just off. I don't know where to find all that stuff. So I want to point you to two, two books that will help you at least know where the scriptures are to read for yourself. They're, in the, they're at the Welcome Center. They're free. Please pick them up. We don't have 100 for you to pick up and distribute door to door, okay? But if you have an interest in this and you have a friend you like, no, here's one, the good news from God. Great little summary about the New Testament and what the Christian, being a Christian is all about in the Bible itself. And here's one called Preparing for Baptism. And this is a really good book, a lot of details, very good instructions about what it means to prepare for baptism. So I encourage you after the close of lesson this morning to go out there and pick them up free of charge. And if you don't need it, give it to somebody who does, all right? So we look at this. So what does the word baptism mean? I got this from Sam Edwards. Sam's not here today, I don't guess, is he? <laughs> Sam says when you look at the word baptism, it means to dunk or to dip, that the word dip there is like an Oreo cookie, You twist, lick, and dunk, right? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, don't you? When you take an Oreo cookie, you just don't kind of lightly put it in the milk, do you? I mean, you dunk that baby, don't you? Sometimes you twist it off, take, lick off the white part, and put the rest in, all right? Now, we don't lick you at baptism, all right? <laughs> That's not in the Bible, and we're not going to twist you around, all right? But this concept of what you do with that cookie into the milk is the idea of dunking. My favorite one is the dunking booth, 
All right, if you've ever been to a dunking booth and you get dunked, I mean, the guy's going under all the way from that standpoint as we look at it in terms of dunking. It's the idea of immersion, the plunge under. Uh, we've looked at uh, Jewish, Catholic, Protestant scholars throughout the centuries. And every one of them, all, all will state to you that immersion, dunking, was the form of baptism in the New Testament in the first century. So how did it change? It changed because man changed it. It changed because people changed it. It changed for whatever reasons, it changed. It's complicated the issue and created a problem. We've talked about Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and some others. I want to talk just a moment today about the radical reformers. And please bear for a moment, I know my history is, my background is history. That's my major and stuff like that, so I'll try not to get too complicated. But I think this is fascinating In the 1500s, after Luther and Calvin and Swingley's around as well, there's a group of people who say, well, we appreciate the reform you're doing, but what we really need to do is reinstitute the New Testament. Reform is not enough. We need to go back all the way to the New Testament. And so you have a group in Zurich, Switzerland, 1522, uh, one guy in particular who reads the Word of God, realizes it's by immersion, He's an adult, and he is baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and God and the Holy Spirit. And then his 300-plus congregation of adults do the same thing. And this is what's called the Anabaptist. Ever, ever heard of that phrase, the Anabaptist, that term? Anabaptist just means rebaptized. They did not like that term. But that's what they were called. And there's some groups of the Reformers here that are very radical. So I'm not endorsing this particular group for everything they're saying, all right? But in this regard, what they said was, no, we're not being rebaptized. We're being baptized for the first time because we know what we're doing. We're repenting by faith and we're being baptized in, in the name of Jesus Christ uh, and, and doing those things. Now, what happened was this period of time is that the infant baptism, the sprinkling, the pouring had become so entrenched that they were actually, Christians were killing Christians who would immerse and dunk people in water as adults. And so you have this group here who are persecuted by the, the thousands. Uh, some of your main leaders, I just mentioned a couple here, who the church thought the best way to get rid of immersion is to drown them. If they want to be immersed, fine, we'll, we'll hold them underwater till they die. And so the leading churches at the time, including the Reformer churches, the Lutherans and everything else, everyone else, they took the Anabaptists who held this viewpoint, held them underwater to the drown. This happened to Humayer's wife. Humayer was a doctor of theology, one of the most educated men at the time, who had become convinced that the church needed to be reinstituted, that the doctrine of baptism had to be changed. He is martyred first, then his wife is drowned two years later. Hutter, who will also do, go to Austria and Moravia and Poland to spread this same sort of gospel, this news about this reform, is also put to death. Burned at the stake, all sorts of horrible things. Fines you cannot imagine. But you can see how by the state and by the church itself, how they suppress the truth about immersion. Are you, are you with me? Boy, y'all say, I thought I took history in college. What am I doing back in this class? I, but it's just important to know that this is what happened. And next week we'll look a little bit more about this, but what I want you to see is that in the New Testament, belief in Christ, and we're going to talk about that message in just a moment, what it means to believe in Christ. 
coupled with repentance, is what led you into God seeing that repentance and belief. It leads you into water to visibly, physically express what's happened to you on the inside, sins being washed away, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and eternal life that God has given you. It's not a human action. It's a God action, what God has done for us. And so as we see this, I want to talk about the word repent. I think most of us know what the word repent means. But let's just talk about it for a moment. The word repent, what does it mean to repent? Some of you like politics, so let me ask you, what does the word rhino mean? We do got some politics. <laughs> it remains, here it is, it remains Republican in name only. It's basically anyone who goes against the Reagan doctrine, pretty much, is Republican. <laughs> See, I, I told you there was someone out here. <laughs> Republican in name only. In other words, there has been a turning away from the Reagan doctrine, if you will, to this more doctrine that does not resemble what they think the Republican Party should be like. That's a rhino. Do you know what a sino is? Christian in name only. You see, there are a lot of people who believe and profess that Jesus Christ, Son of God, and they call themselves Christians. But man, you get them out of the auditorium today and you watch them on Monday through Saturday, <laughs> there's nothing about their life that resembles a Christian. There's nothing about repentance. There's nothing about a change. There's no difference between them and the way the world lives. But they're back here Sunday morning. They're a sino. Belief, no repentance, no change. Now, it's important for us to understand that when Jesus talks about believing in him, he also talks about repenting. So what does this idea of repentance mean? Well, first of all, it means to change, doesn't it? Well, here, here it is combined from Paul. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God, that's the word for repent, in repentance, and have faith in our Lord Jesus. So here is Paul telling about his story, what God's done for him, and he says to turn to God involves what? Faith and repentance. There has to be a change. And so I love this passage from Isaiah. It's a beautiful one that sometimes we haven't heard a lot about. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful verse? My salvation rests in repentance. My trust is my strength, the faith that I have in God as well. So this word repent means to change. Let me see a few scriptures here in terms of change. First of all, you find the one in Luke. I tell you, heaven's a happy place because there's been one sinner who has decided to change. See that? That's the verse from Luke that Jesus says, Luke 15. Here's another one. It's from Paul when he talks about godly sorrow leading to repentance. Now I'm happy, not because you were made sad, but because your sorrow made you decide to change. They are convicted of their sin. They realize what they've done is wrong. He says, I'm not happy because you're sad or feeling guilt by it, but I am happy that it led you to change. That is what God wants, wanted, so you were not hurt by us in any way. So this was a good pain, right? This was a good thing we did. The kind of sorrow God wants makes people decide to change their life. This, notice, leads them to salvation, and we cannot be sorry for that. Now, three words are associated with any sin or any guilt. Regret. What would be the other word, you think? Remorse. 
and repentance. Is there a difference between the three? We can regret something we've done and not change. Amen? Sorry I got caught. (laughs) Promise I won't do it again. Regret it. Turn around and do it again. The baby steps of a Christian is what? Sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess. That's a baby step, right? It's It's a step called by God, but what God says, you sin, confess, repent, change. Turn, transform. See the difference? So this is difference between regret, remorse, that leads to this repentance. How many in your life have understood right now you're thinking, you know what, I've had regret over something, and I felt incredibly bad about it, remorseful, but I'm not sure it's led me to really change. Can you think of anything in your life right now like that? It, it makes you feel bad, you're sorrowful for it, but you have never really changed. See, this is what Paul is talking about. True repentance in God leads us to the point of where we want to change. So the word repent means to change. It also means to turn. It's this idea of turning around. It's turning. Peter said it this way. He says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be what? Wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Isn't that a great verse? Don't fight it. Don't struggle with it. Don't stay with it. Turn it over to God. You turn it over to God. He's going to wipe that sin out. He's going to wash it from you. And you're going to have times of refreshing. They're going to come upon you. It's a turning. Now here's the other way it's used. It's used in the military. It's this term they used in the military when they wanted the group to about face. How many in the military at one point in your life? How many understood that term, about face? You're going one direction, about face means what? You have been commanded to go in the other direction, right? About face. This is the command from God. An about face in your life. You are living one way, you about face and turn towards God and you change your life that he's given you. Isn't that wonderful? Now how do I have an example of that? Paul himself. Where was Paul marching with his marching orders? To what city? To Damascus to put in prison and to bring wreck havoc upon the church. Remember that? He's marching one way, isn't he? What did the Lord do to him on the road? Blinded him with the light And Paul did an about face, didn't he? I mean, there is an about face in his life. In fact, here's what Jesus said to him in that situation. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Would you call that an about face? So now you have some that just need to turn. You have others that just need to make the commitment to change. There needs to be a change in your life. And for others, there needs to be a complete about face. You're so caught up in the sin, so marred by the sin. You are so overwhelmed by the sin that you're never getting out of it until you hear the marching orders of Jesus and do an about face in a dramatic form and let God change your life. Now, there's another part of repentance that kind of most of us deal with. It's the idea of process. It's a process. There's not that dramatic moment that you can point to. Well, on such and such a date in my life, on such and such a year, I repented. 
and I did an about face and I changed. Some had that, that drama. For others, it's a process. This is what I love. Jesus talks about this. He, he talks about it in the context of two tragedies in Luke chapter 13. The first tragedy is, is that Pilate has come in and murdered a bunch of people from Galilee. The people are asking the question, did those people deserve to die? Is that why they died? And Jesus says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you all too will perish. The reason why they died was because they happened to be where Pilate's soldiers were at the time. It had nothing to do with the fact that they deserved to die. This was a random act. That's what he's telling them, Jesus says. But he's also saying, use this opportunity to remind yourself that unless you repent and change or turn, that you're going to perish eternally anyway. Are you with me? And then the second one is the idea of the Tower of Shalom that fell and 18 people died when the tower fell. And the question they had was, do those 18 people deserve to die because the tower fell on them? And Jesus says, no, the reason why those 18 people died when the tower fell on them was because the tower fell on them. They were there when the tower fell and the 18 died. Just like when a plane goes down in a crash. Why did those 200 people die? Because they were on the plane that crashed. So don't bring God into that equation. And that's what Jesus is saying. He says, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you, unless you repent, you'll all likewise perish. If you want to put it on the basis of who deserves to die among Pilate's sword or on the airplane or anything else, we all deserve to die. We're all sinners that need Jesus. That's what he's saying. But then here's the process. He told them this parable in that context. A man had a fig tree and went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? In other words, it's of no value. Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Isn't that Jesus? This is not a harsh Jesus. This is someone who says, okay, it may take time for that repentance to kick in. You're changed, you're turning, you're about face, you're doing all the right things, but it may take time for that to really set in. So we're going to dig around it, we're going to fertilize it, we're going to work on it, and then we're going to see fruit, the fruits of repentance. Are, are you with me? It's, it's, in your, it's in your marriage where you look at your spouse and you've had difficulties and you say, no, I'm ready to walk out at this point. I'm tired of this. But let's give it six more months. Let's do everything God's told us to do. Let's give it six more months. And let's see if the fruit of repentance is really there. It's in your life where you're trying to break an addiction. It's in your life where you're trying to overcome a sin. And you want to right now, but it's just going to take a while. And you keep saying, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to let God continue to dig and fertilize and do all the things he needs to do the process of repentance. And then one day you realize, guess what? There's fruit where it had been barren. Are, are you with me? Can you, can you identify with that? That's the beauty of Jesus Christ. And that's the message that he gives us in terms of salvation that he wants us to have. So let me just close here real quick. The, the message, you see, water without Jesus is just water. Water without belief and repentance, just water just water there's nothing magical about the water 
There's nothing holy about the water. I'm even surprised among Christians sometimes. Oh, you mean we can go up there? Yeah, put your hand in it. It's just water. It comes out of a fountain that's hooked to everything else around here. We don't bless the water. It's not holy water. It's, it's water. There's nothing about that water that saves. Faith, repentance, in Jesus Christ, this becomes then the visible sign that God has changed me from the inside out. My sins are washed away. The gift of the Holy Spirit, I have eternal life. Why is it water? Because Jesus says it's supposed to be water. I'm glad it's not alcohol. You know? <laughs> I'm glad I don't have to offer a blood sacrifice. I'm glad I don't have to cut my wrist. I'm glad there's not some sort of great elaborate ceremony that has to be done. It's so simple. You believe in Jesus? You want to repent? Get dunked in his name right now. And when you're dunked in his name for that reason, your sins are washed away, receive the gift of the Spirit, eternal life, and added to his church. Beautiful concept. Now here's the message. Let's just go back, just kind of if you can, it's hard to do, but this is the first sermon that's given after Pentecost. And here's what Peter preaches. And if, it's, if Jesus is not in the equation, none of this matters. So here it is. I love this. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. So they've got to be able to listen, hear, believe, and obey. So children are out, infants are out, people who don't have the intellectual capacity cannot do this. Individual choice. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. So there's even eyewitnesses there at that time. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Amen. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you have now see and hear. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now, when the people heard this first time, look how simple this is. First time the message is there. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They're sorrowful, aren't they? They're, they're cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brethren, what shall we do? What, what do we do about this? I mean, if what you're saying is true, which they believe to be true, then how do you ever get over the fact that you put to death the Messiah that people have been waiting for for centuries? And you were part of that scheme. So here's what Peter said. And this is what is said throughout the New Testament and never changes in terms of what's involved. Repent and be dunked. That's the word baptism. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is the same way it is today and the way it should always be until the Lord returns. Just so beautiful, isn't it? So simple. Now, I want to close with Titus, because Titus gives this beautiful phrase, but when the kindness and the love of God, 
of our Savior appeared. He saved us, not because of anything we had done. So it's not a human act, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Isn't that beautiful? See, it's all because of Jesus. It's all about the message of Jesus. If I love him, 